Chapter Three of Billyhilt by Julie Sutter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, A Noble Suitor. His grave with the wicked, Isaiah fifty-three nine. Giselar did not see Billyhilt again. His sense of honor, as well as offended pride, urged him to quit Hayden's dominions as speedily as possible. He left that same afternoon to return to Bavaria. Billyhilt was kneeling by her mother's coffin. Of Giselhar she thought no more. The mortal remains of the faithful Meshilt were taken to their last resting-place amid the hymn-singing of the Christian people. But the congregation had need to put on the garb of mourning. Sorrow was gathering on the horizon. Gila's influence on Hayden is great,' Abbot David had said to Giselhar, and truly it was so. The latter's well-meaning interference by Gottsbert's dying bed only served to make matters more easy for the evil-minded Herzogin. Hayden was nettled, and felt it a point of honor not to be advised by Giselhar, whom he watched riding off with the satisfaction of having shown him the door. But his feelings of dislike to the meddling stranger found vent in a growing hatred of the Hibernian settlers in general, for were they not of the same faith with Giselhar and his trusted friends? The old Herzogin had no difficulty in making Hayden believe Giselhar, after all, had only carried out what had been carefully planned in the Senebi. But he would hold his own. On Easter morning two of the Herzog's men, fully armed, arrived at the door of the oratory, to keep watch that none of the Christians should think of entering the sanctuary. Gaila, of course, had chosen two heathen for the office, Pilung and Murung by name. They brought a hamper of game with them and a large cask of beer, to fill up the time between the singing of coarse heathen songs. Their noise was such that the brethren could not even worship in their own cabins, which none dared leave. In the evening two other spies relieved guard, and their noise was, if possible, still greater. The oratory continued closely watched. In the course of the week the funeral of Herzog Gottsbert took place. Not in the least considering the fact that he had been a Christian, it was under Gaila's direction performed according to heathen rites. A pyre was raised in the forest, and the corpse in full armor was carried thither by the departed Herzog's favorite steed. Gaila and her women followed with wild lamentation. Behind them Hayden, surrounded by all his men-at-arms, even the Christians among them having been obliged to take part in the ceremony. As the procession went through the beech forest, Heimerisch stepped to the side of the young Herzog, boldly addressing him. "'What do you expect the gods will do with your father's soul? They cannot admit him into Valhalla. They will have to send him to hell.' Note. Hades. "'Insolent churl!' exclaimed Hayden, but could add no more, for the reasoning of his Christian retainer was too patent to be gainsaid. Heimerisch coolly continued, "'You have made but poor provision for the departed Herzog. Our abbot would have done better.' He would have recommended him to the mercy of God who made heaven and earth, that by the merit of Christ Jesus he might enter paradise. Hayden looked to the ground in sulky silence. "'My mother insisted on it,' he said presently. "'It is her doing, not mine. Tell the abbot he shall pray for my father's soul.' He waved his hand, and Heimerisch, obeying the sign, left his side. The procession had arrived at the funeral pyre. Hetzilo, the priest of Woden, stood in readiness with his attendants to receive the corpse. But no sooner had Heimerisch caught sight of the ministers of darkness than he turned on his heels, followed by all those among the men who were Christians. Heedless of permission, they returned by the way they had come. Hayden did not call them back. It was the lesser number who remained behind. When Gaila noticed the defection, they were disappearing between the beaches. "'What are they about?' she exclaimed angrily. "'I have sent them on a message to the abbot,' replied Hayden. "'My father, having been a Christian, will not find admittance with the gods.' The abbot may as well pray for him to his god, else his soul will remain homeless. Foolish prate! 
retorted Gyla. He was my husband, and the gods will receive him. Hell shall receive him, answered the strange voice of a druidess, appearing suddenly before the horrified Herzogin, as though risen out of the earth. The weird figure seemed of gigantic size as she screamed with glaring eyes and wildly streaming hair. Does Gyla think the gods favor her because she is the Herzogin? I tell thee they will not receive thy wicked husband. There is no forgiveness with the gods. They will give him his portion with the children of Loki. The serpent Eormungandr will hold him fast. The Fenrivulf will gnaw away his heart. The wild hell will rejoice at his misery. Hold thy peace, Valda, interrupted Hetzilo. Did I not enjoin thee to keep aloof? Wherefore comest thou to disturb the holy rite? Thou didst tell me, cried the druidess. But imaginest thou that Valda is frightened away by an artful priest when the voice of God is within her? It is an ill-advised God that speaks from thee, replied the priest, trying to cover his confusion with an appearance of confidence. Thou knowest not that Goldsbert repented on his deathbed and returned to the gods of his fathers. Thou knowest not that by his own command I am here to celebrate the sacrifice and offer up the favorite horse to all-powerful Voden. How shouldst thou know that Pilung, secretly following Giselhard the stranger, heard him tell the abbot that the dying Herzog would not listen to his prayer, but ask for me, the priest of Woden. Return to thy cave, Valda. I know thou meanest well, and thinking Gottsbert had died a Christian, thou hast come, lest the service of Woden be profaned. No, it was no god that spoke from thee, but the voice born of thine own thought. The druidess retired sullenly. "'What is this about Pilung?' asked Gaila and Hayden, amazed. "'He can speak for himself,' said the wily priest. And Pilung, stepping forward, affirmed the false tale, making use of fearful oaths. He had been carefully instructed by Hetzilo, whose hatred of Giselhar knew no bounds. He was in truth a cunning man, this priest of Woden. He knew the Herzog had died a Christian, and that complying with Gaila's request to conduct the funeral according to heathen rites was really a profanation of the worship which he pretended to hold sacred. Valda's fanatical imprecations at least were honest. But the crafty priest considered that nothing would be more hurtful to the cause of heathenism than his refusing to receive the body of the departed Herzog, and that nothing would be more likely to injure the growth of Christianity than to re-establish at the Herzog's funeral the religion which he had banned from the Würzburg. This was a triumph not to be forgone. To make it possible, he invented the tale, prevailing upon Pilung to swear to it falsely. The most immediate gain was this, that any latent desire in Hayden's breast to honor his father's dying will was effectually stifled. Or rather, Hayden now consoled himself that his father's dying wish had been the very opposite from what Giselhar had tried to adduce by his witnesses. Gottsbert had evidently changed his mind after they had left him. Had not Pilung affirmed his testimony with the direst oaths, raising his right hand and saying, "'If it be not as I say, let Voden crush this my right hand which I lift to him!' The ceremony proceeded without further interruption. The corpse was placed on the pyre, tied upright in a sitting posture. The favorite horse of the deceased, a milk-white charger, was killed by Hetzilo and also laid upon the pile. Preparations being complete, Hayden set it alight. It was soon ablaze, burning up the corpses of the late Herzog and his steed, while the priests walked round it with dismal dirges. The flames rose to the height of the beech-tops, and the suffocating stench was carried by the west wind far into the valley of the main. When the pile had sunk down to ashes, the remaining heap was covered with earth and turf. The sword-blade and other bits of metal outlasting the fire were buried separately. When the procession moved homeward, Gaila triumphed in her heart. The story told by Hetzilo and sworn to by Pilung, that Gottsbert had recanted just before his death, was most eagerly received by her. She believed it because it suited her. She herself had been present, seeing and hearing, when the dying Herzog testified to his desire that the men of God should be left unmolested. She had seen him raise his hands. She had heard the yes of the paralyzed man. 
and when the six witnesses had left him she had remained in the chamber, sitting apart, but seeing and hearing that Gieselhar offered up prayer by the bedside. It is true she could not follow the words, but on the other hand she had seen nothing that could have led her to believe the dying man had interrupted the prayer. Indeed, she knew it was scarcely possible he should have spoken again after that yes, which in itself was almost miraculous, for Gieselhar had not been praying many minutes when the breathing became heavier, sinking away presently into the silence of death. Gyla knew all this, and yet she held herself assured of the contrary, for had not Pilung sworn to it, had he not heard Gieselhar confess to the abbot that Gottsbert had called for Hetzilo, had prayed to Woden? Surely it must be so. It was not her fault if, sitting apart, she had not heard his dying word. This unexpected disclosure had greatly delighted her. It was a triumph indeed, and she spoke of it to Hayden all the way home. Yet she could not get rid of a secret fear to which the sinking shadows of the night added mystery. After supper, Hayden retired to his own abode in the side-wing beyond the court, and Gyla, not without a shudder, entered the chamber in which Gottsbert had breathed his last. She went to rest, but sleep fled her couch. As often as she closed her eyes she fancied she heard her husband gasping in death and jumped up affrighted. It was turned midnight when at last she slept, but only to be wakeful in dreams. Towards morning, when the rising moon cast a pale glimmer through the trellised window, lighting up the empty place beside her, she started. Was she dreaming? Was she waking? She thought she saw Gottsbert beside her, lifting both hands toward the cross. Terrified, she closed her eyes and listened whether he would call for Hetzilo, but Gieselhar prayed an endless prayer and she slept. Now she wandered in dreams through the forest, looking for the pile of ashes, but could not find it. Now to her right, now to her left, she caught sight of Heimerisch, leading the little band of Christians back to the Würzburg. She would have flown after them wrathfully, but her feet obeyed her not. In vain she tried to move, when suddenly Valda burst from the thicket, wildly screaming, "'Hell has received him!' and Gyla awoke. She would have influenced Hayden to anything, had she been able. At her bidding he would have chased the Hibernians from his dominions, and would have forced his Christian subjects to offer sacrifice to Woden. But Gyla, waking, seemed paralyzed, as her feet had been in her dreams. Listless, she sat in the great hall, mute and brooding. Her son attributed it to the grief of widowhood. As far as he was concerned, he never for a moment doubted the story he had been told. It was plain his father at the very last returned to the gods. Gieselhar had told him an untruth, and Gieselhar had been the mouthpiece of the Cenobi. The pious brethren must be punished. If Hayden did not set about this meditated punishment with a high hand, but bided his time for aggrieving the holy man, it was only that, knowing his mother's feelings in this respect, he felt sure of losing nothing if he waited for her instigation. If she was satisfied to leave the strangers in peace a few days longer, he could be. Of one thing he was firmly resolved. The worship of the strange god should not again be heard in his land. No singing, no sound of bells should rise again from the oratories. Consequently, on the Saturday after Easter he said to his mother, I cannot permit service at Hushheim any more than here. I will ride over this very morning and stop it. Gyla looked at him, wondering. A gleam of satisfaction broke from her eyes. "'Good fortune speed thee, my son!' she cried. He called for his horse and rode from the borg. Gyla had come to herself. Hayden was acting on his own responsibility. What need she fear? He was Herzog and ruler of the land. She could leave matters with him. She rose from her seat and watched her son's departure, till having crossed the river on a ferry he vanished in the forest. "'He is a noble hero,' she said. The spirit of his ancestor is upon him, whose name he bears, and the spirit of Hruoth, the first of our race. He will purify the land of these foreign offenders, and we will restore the worship of the mighty gods, of Vorden and Thor, of Fol and Eor. He has taken a weight from my mind. It is not his mother's counsel he needs, but he needs a wife. 
It is not meet that I continue in the retiring chamber, leaving him to abide in the wing. My hair has grown white with years. It is meet for me to accept the lot of widowhood. Let him bring a blooming wife to the hall. But he shall not think of wedding a daughter of the Bavarian Herzog, who has listened to the strangers and forsworn the gods. Horsa, the Saxon ruler, has a daughter of whom I have heard wondrous tales. At the hour of her birth her father killed ten men and twenty women, offering them up to Frigga. The goddess accepted the sacrifice, blessing the maid with beauty and strength withal. As touched by sunbeams are Ermenfried's auburn curls. She is tall, and sits her horse like a hero. She hunts the elk and the dread aurochs, and throws the millstone farther than our finest men. Of her I will speak to Hayden, that he may go and take her to wife, and a valiant race shall be born of them. As Gila was thus giving her fancy the rein, Hayden rode moodily through the arching beech-isles of an all-but-virgin forest. The grand old trees were breaking into the first tender foliage of spring. Here and there some mighty giant, uprooted by the winter storms, lay half-buried in the leafy mold, moss-growing wherever it had a chance, and the underwood clothing itself with multitudinous buds. The beams of the morning sun shone aslant through the interlacing boughs. Thousands of birds were singing, and a bittern, starting from a sheet of water close by, flew up with a far-sounding call. A doe looked at the rider from behind an elder bush, letting him approach to within twenty steps when she bounded away gaily. A black squirrel ran up the stem of a beech, turning round on the first bough to look slyly at the young man beneath. He laughed and held out a hand to the merry-eyed creature, but it sped away from branch to branch to the topmost retreat, and vanished from his pursuing gaze. Then he examined the track of a stag which crossed his path, and once more turned his looks aloft, delighting in the sunbeams overhead and watching a pair of thrushes as they caroled round their nest. He had quite forgotten that he was on his way to silence songs of another kind. He opened his heart entirely to the influences of the early spring. But hark, there was an echo floating through the forest deeps like a distant harmony. It was the bell of the oratory at Husheim calling the brethren to matins. Wondrously pure was the silver cadence borne to him on the air. It was no unknown sound. Hayden had heard it many a morning in his father's lifetime, who, in years gone by, had often taken the boy by the hand to follow the invitation, and Hayden, by his father's side, had listened with awe to the sacred strains within the oratory. The melodious peal greeting him as he rode towards Husheim did therefore not surprise him. It seemed, on the contrary, a very part of the beauteous morning. The youthful Herzog could not but stop his horse and listen. The calling bell had never seemed so lovely before. He continued listening, almost dreaming, till, startled by a noisy jay, he bethought himself, remembering that these bells were ringing their own death knell, that he would never hear them again, being on his way to forbid them forever. He was startled by this aspect of his intentions. He stopped trying to disentangle his bewildered thoughts and feelings. But before he could recover his serenity he was again disturbed. From behind a rock by the side of his path moans arose so pitiful that he listened aghast. He turned his horse's head to discover the cause and remained transfixed. A maiden of almost heavenly glory, dressed in ample folds of white, lovely as Freya herself, bending over a pale-faced man whose eyes were closed and his forehead streaming with blood. A phial of oil was in her hand. She was just about to dress and bind up the wound, but turned at the sudden noise, meeting Hayden's astonished look with a quiet gaze. "'Who art thou?' asked the bewildered Herzog, springing from his horse. "'As a Valkyr maiden thou appearest before me, about to carry a slain hero to Valhalla. Stay, and do not rise as a swan to disappear from my earthly sight.' "'I am no Valkyr maiden, as thou deemest,' said the damsel. "'I am Belihild, the daughter of Iberius, a man of God who is no longer here. "'If thou art a mortal maid, how darest thou trust thyself alone in the forest?' asked the Herzog, gazing at her admiringly as she turned again to the wounded man to attend to his need. "'I am not alone.' said Billyhild. God is with me, in whose service I came hither. 
"'In the service of God?' repeated Hayden, wonderingly. "'Who is this man lying wounded before thee?' "'I know him not,' replied she. "'But Damualis believes he is the same Katalt who three days ago tried to set fire to one of our cabins, so that the whole Senebi would have been destroyed, had it not been for one of the brethren who was able to stifle the flame before it spread.' "'And thou returnest good to one who wished you evil? How is it?' The boy Damwalis, who had gone to the wood to look for healing herbs, found him lying here, wounded and half dead. He ran back to the Senebi to tell the brethren. The abbot, hearing of it, sent me on at once to look to the poor man's wounds. Two of the brethren are following with the stretcher, to take him to our hospice, where he may be tended and recover if it please God. The man who would have destroyed the Senebi? Why should we hate him who hated us? He hates us because he is a poor heathen, thinking thereby to please his gods but our God has told us to do good to them which hate us and despitefully use us." "'Bilihild,' resumed the Herzog, evidently moved, "'thou sayest thy God is present here.' He stopped, not knowing how to continue. When the storm went raging through the forest, shattering the fir-trees and the mighty oaks which braved a thousand winters, then indeed the heathen said, "'Voden is among us. Voden rides atop of the forest, followed by the ghostly hunt.' But there was no uproar now. The sacred stillness of the morning spoke of peace only, when a tender maiden could enter securely the lonely haunt, showing mercy to one who hated her people and was an enemy to her faith. Hayden felt the breath of a spirit, of a god higher than Woden. He could not express what he felt, and only repeated, "'Thou sayest thy god is present here.' "'He is,' said the maiden reverently, "'and it is he who brought you here, most noble Herzog.' "'Dost thou know me?' queried Hayden in surprise. "'How should I not?' having often seen you pass the Senebi at Versburg. And is it thy God, thinkest thou, who brought me? Canst thou say also for what purpose he brought me? To assist me with this poor sufferer, that you should lift him upon your horse and take him to the Senebi. He is weak with loss of blood. The brethren, having first to prepare a stretcher, cannot be here for some time yet. And the Herzog did lift the wounded man in his strong arms, mounting the horse behind him. It was strange he should thus approach the Senebi, actually doing the will of that god whose worship he had come to destroy. Bilihilt followed at an increasing distance. "'Who was it that thus wounded thee?' asked Hayden after a while of the man in his charge. "'Othmar,' replied the latter, "'we fell to blows over a roebuck which he claimed to have killed, though it was my booty.' "'Why didst thou moan so pitifully, just as I approached the spot where the maiden was tending thee?' "'The woman hurt me, drawing a splinter from the wound.' "'The woman!' repeated Hayden. Canst thou not speak of thy mistress more reverently? Is she my mistress? asked Katalt, wondering. She may be before long, said the Herzog, musing, and was silent. Bilihild reached the Senebi some time after Hayden, and was surprised to see the old doorkeeper, Brother Faramund, not only step aside respectfully to let her pass, but bend his head before her, at the same time crossing his hands upon his breast as he would to the abbot, her surprise only increasing when he thus greeted her. Blessed be thy going out and coming in. Arise, fair daughter, and sing a song." She passed him, marveling at his solemnity. When she reached the open place before the oratory, she found the whole of the little community standing about in eager groups. At this she scarcely wondered, the Herzog's presence within the Senebi, to her mind, being sufficient explanation. But no sooner had she herself been seen, when all turned towards her. Her mother's friend Gertrude embraced her, greatly moved, and the aged Taltman, coming up, said, Bilihil, thou art wanted in the abbot's cabin." She turned obediently to do as she was bidden. The little wooden house inhabited by Abbot Coleman was as simple and poor as any of the brethren's dwellings. 
When she entered she saw Hayden standing by the side of the venerable abbot. Billahilt, said the latter, the Herzog desires to speak to thee. She looked innocently at the young ruler. I have a question to ask of thee, said Hayden. Thou didst tell me it was thy God that brought me hither, but that cannot be, since it was my own determined will to forbid the worship here, as I have already forbidden it at Versborg. It is thou who hast turned my will. I cannot tell what mysterious charm belongs to thee, but thou hast made thyself mistress, and I, the Herzog and ruler, have owned myself yielding to thy will. I would say now, if my heart could speak for me, I would continue in thy service. Say, Billahilt, wilt thou be my wife? If thou couldst, I would protect thy faith, and grant the brethren liberty to serve their God for all time to come." Billahilt answered not. A pallor had spread on her face, and when Hayden had ended she lay swooning in Topman's arms. "'Forgive her,' said the old man. "'It has taken her unawares. She is a tender maiden and lowly at heart. That you would have her be Herzogin has frightened her greatly. Bear with her, she will soon be herself again.' Topman carried her to the adjoining chamber, where the abbot's wife cooled her temples with water. Billahilt opened her eyes wonderingly, and a word escaped her lips, so softly none heard it. Kislar, she said. "'The Herzog will not depart without an answer,' whispered Totman presently. "'Remember, Billahilt, the Lord has put it to thee whether his work and service shall continue here. The eternal welfare of thousands of souls is at stake. Judge for thyself how it would be with us if the Herzog had thy refusal. It was of the Lord's ordaining that he met thee in the forest. It is God himself who requires this at thy hands.' I know it, said Billhild. Not my will but his be done, though it be a sacrifice. She rose and left the chamber upright and strong. Hayden stood by the abbot when the maiden came up to him with a brave look in her eyes. Most noble Herzog, she said, if with your hand you will pledge me your word that all my brethren and sisters, both here and at Versburg, shall continue in their faith serving God, protected by yourself, if this be your honest will, it shall be as you would have it. I will be a true and faithful wife to you, honoring you as my husband. But remember, my God will even then be present with me." She held out her hand. The Herzog clasped her to his heart, covering her lips with kisses. End of chapter 3